Hello, 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 and welcome to our very first podcast at Law Simplified. I'm your host for today, Farine Ali, and in today's podcast, we'll be discussing the Coronavirus Act. I mean, I think I need to have a disclaimer below the podcast reading, beware, we'll be using the term coronavirus. Because as I imagine, a lot of you are fed up of hearing about that throughout the day. And gosh, I am too. But it's so important to really analyse the changes that have occurred as a result of this outbreak. And what better way by looking at the epicentre of it all, which is the Coronavirus Act. Now, before delving into the subject matter, I do want to really give you all a bit of an introduction to me and also to set out the objectives of having a podcast on our platform. Now, an introduction. Um, I'm currently an unregistered barrister, which means I have completed my bar studies and also been called to the bar of England and Wales, uh, but I'm currently still uh, to do my pupillage. I am also a court advocate and providing my advocacy services to a firm in London and to a firm in Manchester on a self-employed basis. And that effectively means that I am in court every day representing parties in a wide ranging areas of law, specifically though commercial and civil law. And I have over five years experience of financial contracting, having led my own limited company Um, providing dispute resolution services. And that really sums up pretty much what I've been up to in my professional career. But if anyone wants a bit of a more comprehensive insight into my journey to the bar, Law Simplified and beyond, do head over to my article that I've written, which really unravels the the whole of uh, my journey and tells you all that there is to know. Now, what are the objectives of this podcast? I mean, we set out initially to really simplify key legal updates and to ensure that people were constantly informed about them, understanding how difficult that can be on a daily basis. But having a podcast, we thought, would allow us to deliver that information in the most digestible way possible. And we really hope that that objective is met over the few over the next few months as we go on to really establishing our platform. Now we do hope to diversify this um, by bringing on board as many aspiring lawyers as possible to deliver the podcast videos and articles, and really make this into a community of lawyers leading the way in um, not only simplifying law, but to ensure that we do it in the most suited way possible. Um, I hope you're listening to this podcast whilst you're getting on with whatever you do in the day. And if you are, that means we have met that objective. Um, Now, without making this podcast dangerously long, I think I should really crack on. So, the Coronavirus Act 2020 passed through Parliament and received its royal assent on the 24th of March after only six days of deliberation between both Houses, House of Commons and House of Lords. And that's quite remarkable because it can take anything from a few weeks to months for an Act of Parliament to go through all the stages and reach that point of finality. So it's quite clear that the government have 
responded efficiently to the outbreak. Now, the Act sets out its objectives. It says it aims to increase the available health and social care workforce, ease the burden from the frontline staff, contain and slow down the spread of the virus, manage the deceased with respect and dignity and support people. So in this podcast, we'll be assessing whether those objectives have been met by looking at some of the key areas of this ad. Right, so the first area that we'll be exploring is the public healthcare system. Now, the government has implemented temporary changes by allowing an emergency registration of key healthcare workers, such as nurses, doctors, pharmacists, chemists, paramedics, and the list really goes on. This extends from those newly qualified to final year students. Now, the General Medical Council, um, who maintain the register for nurses and doctors, reported that within 48 hours of your NHS needs you, where we saw Matt Hancock in front of the camera appealing to people who had left the profession, um, there were reportedly 500 retired doctors and 4,000 retired nurses who re-registered, taking up the fight in the front line. There's also been similar measures for emergency registration of social workers too, um, by the Registrar of Social Work England and Social Care Wheels within the adult and childcare services, because it was anticipated from the outset that there would be an increase in absences and to effectively ensure continuity of care. Now let's move on to the next parts of the Act, which is indemnification of healthcare and social care workers. Now, what the Act says is that an appropriate authority, such as Secretary of State for Health and Social Care and Welsh Ministers for Wales, um, has the power to decide if there has been a wrongdoing by the NHS and also allows them to indemnify them in respect of a qualifying liability incurred by that person. Now, so they are acting much like... um, an indemnity insurance provider. Now, all professionals are required to have in place indemnity insurance from the very start of their practice to protect them against such allegations. Now, to put things into perspective, the NHS is responsible for any wrongdoing by the employee through something called vicarious liability. And vicarious liability is actually a legal doctrine which shifts liability to an individual who did not cause a harm but has a specific superior relationship in law, a bit like this employer and employee situation. Now, the Act says that any liability arising from a wrongful act which causes death, personal injury, loss to a person or property where that individual had failed in their duty of care owed whilst providing a relevant service can now be indemnified by the authorised person. So it's important that the wrongful act has occurred in the course of providing a relevant service. Now, we'll now go on to actually exploring what relevant service means. Now, the act says relevant service is caring for or treating a person who has or is suspected of having coronavirus disease, whether or not in respect of that disease, caring or treating someone other than someone suspected of having coronavirus but is suspected of being infected or during the diagnosis or determination of whether someone has been infected 
Um, and if diagnosis, care and treatment is provided to someone, not by the person who usually would, and the reason for that is, is it's related to coronavirus or because a usual person was caring for or treating someone with coronavirus, whether suspected or actual, the wrongful act occurred in the course of those specific acts uh, or service, then the healthcare professional can be indemnified by the government. Now, the Act does say expressly that it does not intend to doubly protect those individuals who have indemnity insurance covering them for clinical negligence, for example, so anything specific to this, um, but also but only those who do not. So that's indemnification. Now, let's move on to NHS volunteers. Um, now, the Coronavirus Act grants NHS emergency volunteers a series of protections and legislates the process of certification. A total of 750,000 people had volunteered as NHS responders to help the most vulnerable in our society. And I read a news article, actually, uh, which said that fewer than 20,000 tasks had already been assigned to them by the 16th of April. Um, now, what the Act does is it actually creates a statutory unpaid leave. So volunteers can actually take time off from work without having fear of criticism from the employer or risking their job. Um, what the government has also done is that they have confirmed in the Act that there will be a compensation scheme established uh, which will see volunteers compensated for any loss of earnings that they've incurred or losses related to travel or subsistence uh, as a consequence of their volunteering. Now what that basically means is that any costs incurred in the course of volunteering such as travelling to and from the place of conducting your volunteering, um, losses incurred as a result of time off work and any costs associated with lunch, coffees, teas should be compensated under this compensation scheme. But more on that will follow, as well as the specific terms of the compensation will also follow from um, the government. There is nothing yet in place. Um, now, let's move on to the next part then, shall we? State aid. Now, economic relief is perhaps an area where the government has acted with extreme generosity. Um, the packages made available for both individuals and businesses are vast. And there's something for everyone. Now, there are a range of social security benefits such as statutory sick pay, universal credit, contributory employment support allowance and a new style job seekers allowance which was already which were already in place but have now actually been made easily accessible and um, because the strict assessment criteria has been removed now there are hardship funds which people can tap into through council for tax relief for example and a three-month breathing space from the obligation to pay mortgage bills um for businesses there's your coronavirus job retention scheme, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard a lot about because it has been in the news quite a bit, uh, which has seen nearly half the country furloughed. Employers are able to also claim reimbursement of payments made under the statutory sick pay uh, through rebate scheme, if it meets the terms within the Act. And there are a number of grants and loan schemes. 
Now, there are business interruption loans available to all sized businesses. Um, smaller businesses with a, an annual turnover of up to £45 million pounds, and larger uh, businesses in excess of uh, £45 million. Pounds. And there are certain packages for both. Um, there are small business grants including for those in the hospitality, retail and leisure industry. And from the 4th of May, 100% government-backed business bounce-back loans, which have no tests or complex eligibility uh, metrics attached. Now, for more on these aids, do check out our bite-sized explanatory articles on the website. Now let's look at the next part of the Act, which is um, the protections afforded to residential and commercial tenants. Now, the Act temporarily extends the notice to quit to three months for residential properties, which means that if you are renting a home, your landlord is not able to ask you to leave the property unless you have been served a notice of three months of their intention to seek possession, i.e. serve a notice that they want to end the tenancy. It also means that landlords can't apply to start the court process until after the end of this period. Um, now, the government has asked landlords not to institute possession of properties un unless it is for a good reason. In fact, um, on the 27th of March, um, or from that date, the court will no longer hear any ongoing uh, possession, housing possession cases, or take on any new uh, cases either for a period of 90 days. And that means that residential tenants are protected against eviction. Um, but the government has mentioned in their non-statutory guidelines that the contractual obligations do still remain the same, i.e. the obligation upon the tenant to make payment for tenancy. So if there are any tenants who are encountering any financial difficulties, it is uh, mentioned and recommended that, that you do speak to your landlord and try and reach a suited agreement. Now, as for commercial tenants, the Coronavirus Act prohibits uh, the right to re-entry or forfeiture in the event of non-payment of rent until after the end of relevant period. Now, the relevant period mentioned in the Act is uh, the start of this Act, which is the 24th of March, to the end of June, so 30th of June. Uh, this also means that business tenants are too protected against eviction during this pandemic. Now let's move on to the uh, death management system and, and managing the deceased and what the Act says about that. Now, the initial reading of the bill proposed cremation of everyone who had passed due to coronavirus and in process of that disregarded family wishes and the burial rights of those within religious communities. I mean, that was quite a fearful thought because I belong to a religious community. Now, thankfully, though, um, after some opposition in both houses, the government immediately amended the act to honour the deceased family's wishes and the broader effect of it then became to relax the regulations, especially changing a lot of the process to uh, remote dealings as opposed to face-to-face uh, -face interactions. Now, this article will cover all of that, so do head over to this section. Um, but that's what I will say in terms of the death management system. Um, 
Let's now move on to the final part of the Act that we're discussing in this podcast, which is the changes brought to the Mental Health Act 1983. The government has responded by temporarily easing the strict requirements in Mental Health Act 1983. Now, some of the changes include alterations to the procedure where there would ordinarily be the intervention of two medical professionals. It has now changed to one, uh, for example, in cases of admission for assessment, administration of medication and treatment of patients. The detention of inpatients at hospital and of those uh, by police for a place of safety has now increased and the government is given power, uh, rather the court is given power to be satisfied on the evidence of one medical professional when dealing with a number of matters. Well, that brings us to the end of our very first podcast. Now, I know that we haven't addressed all the areas of changes that the Act has brought, but the areas that we have addressed are of fundamental importance to us all. I hope you have found some value in that. Um, Now, whilst I'm actually doing the podcast, I have just received an update on my phone in respect of a recent change in law. I mean, this just shows you the fast paced uh, movement in terms of law. I mean, right now we are being pelted with all these new changes, especially due to the coronavirus. And what the government has come out with now on the 20th of May is a corporate insolvency and governance bill, which basically will allow temporary easements and flexibility to businesses who are coping with reduced resources and restrictions. What that effectively does also is it it gives companies breathing space from their creditors. Undoubtedly, we will do a piece on it or mention it somewhere. So do keep your eyes peeled. Um, I do want to mention at this point that any information or content produced by Law Simplified does not constitute legal advice, but is only there for the purposes of analysis Now, do follow us on our social media accounts to ensure that you are up to date with these legal updates as and when they drop in. So for Facebook, it's Law Simplified, LinkedIn, Law Simplified, Snapchat, Law hyphen Simplified, Twitter, at Law Simplified UK, YouTube, Law Simplified with Farine Ali. Now, I also want to extend my request to all third year of LLB law students and beyond. If you are um, interested in producing content for the purposes of simplifying law and you want to do it in the form of articles, podcasts or videos, just drop me an email at info at law-simplified.co.uk and that marks the end of this podcast. I hope it's not been painfully long. So thank you very much for your time. And I hope and pray that you stay safe and stay well during these unprecedented times. But until next time, stay in contact with Law, with Law Simplified. Thank you and goodbye. (laughs) 